0: are Ephesus Ephesians letter to the church of Ephesus last week we talked about Galatians I was planning on doing Ephesus Galatians and Ephesus at the same time and we didn't get make past Galatians so maybe we'll get past Ephesians today um Uh, As uh, we've been going ever so quickly through this material, I'm always amazed at just uh, how nice it is sometimes to go through this material quickly so we kind of remember what it is to like the whole book of the Bible. I was uh, reminded of that the other day when someone was asking me a question about a verse and I told them, wait, you need to back up and, and read that whole passage in context, because you've got it really out of context. Of course, they got that material off a TikTok video, which is um, really always out of context. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure the author had some context in mind when they did the video, but 30 seconds isn't a lot of time. Of course, they're doing 10-minute TikTok videos, but I've yet to run across anyone who actually listens to 10-minute TikTok videos. Um, It goes longer than 30 seconds, like Flip, flip, Anyways, Uh, Ephesus, to the church of Ephesians. Paul, the apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Ephesus is not that place in red. That is Galatians, but it will give you a, a, a background for where we were last time. Ephesus is where that big four is at right there. This is the Ephesus, and the whole region here would have been the region of Ephesus, though the town is somewhere in this area. Um, Ephesus is one of those cities that Paul really spends a lot of time in in the book of Acts. We're told that he spends like three years there, so he has a deep love for this church. And for the people of this church. He even gets run out of the synagogue and he rents a, uh, that amphitheater so he can continue teaching there in Ephesus. Um, it's a port city at the mouth of the Caister um, River on the Aegean Sea. It is one, a really important city because it's the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Now, I know when we say Asia, a lot of us are thinking Asians, like China and Japan. That's not what we're talking about. When we say Asia, we're talking about, like, Turkey and Greece and, and that area. Um, there would have been about 500,000 people in Ephesus at this time period, which I know today's numbers, that's pretty small, But, you know, Henderson's got way more than that, right? But uh, at that time period, that would have mean it was one of the biggest cities around. It was the New York City. It was the Los Angeles. It was a huge city. Been very wealthy. wealthy, Would have had um, uh, been a lot of the civic leaders. Um, A very famous city. Um, it had would have been the because of its political center. It would have been the capital, uh, home of the very powerful. It would have been the commercial city because center because if you look back at that map, it's where the trade happens. From this area to this area and then down, that's where trade happens. Anytime you get a trade center, you're going to have a powerful area. That's one of the reasons Israel was one of those areas that was conquered all the time because people wanted to fight over it because they wanted to control the trade. Ephesus wasn't fought over as much, though it did try and change hands quite a bit. But it was, um, but it was powerful because it controlled the trade um, because it was port city, and that also led to it being. Uh, a, uh, a, a major city of the worship of Artemis. We're actually going to watch a small four-minute video on Artemis of Ephesus because it's not the Artemis that most of us think about in Greek mythology. Um, a lot of times we think Artemis, um, you know, this, um, this, this, this um, would have been a mother goddess. She's seen as a multi-breasted woman. Um, actually, the worship of Artemis is important in transferring Christianity because it helps people um, lead into um, into the, what will become the veneration of Mary in the Catholic Church. Will come out of this mother worship that is in. So it's um, it's one of those things that um, helps spread. That viewpoint in the um, in, in the, the Catholic Church, or the veneration of, though they don't worship Mary in the Catholic Church, many of them do worship Mary in the Catholic Church. But officially, the Catholic, i want to put that clear—the Catholic Church, by official doctrine, does not worship Mary. They raise her up as a place of importance, and they would pray to her as intercessory to God. Because of the importance of the mother role as Jesus, they do not worship her as part of the official Catholic church however that does not mean some of the people that are Catholic don't take it too far and do worship her and a lot of that in throughout history has come from syncretism, like this goddess mother this 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 mother goddess being transferred in. And like the vestal versions and all these other things in the Greek mythology. Um, But this will be one of the major central worships. But it's also, so we got an important center because of the worship of Artemis. Um, As we talked in Galatia and earlier uh, in Corinth, temples are the banking system of the, the world at the time. They're not just religious centers. They are the place that becomes the banks. They're the places where people transfer ideas, so they're very. So, so this is a very wealthy place because it's a primary worship place of Artemis. Uh, it'll also be one of those things that gets Paul into trouble if we remember in Acts because they're taking away the money from the worship of Artemis. The idol makers are are saying, "Well, he's hurting our business." The uh, the The bankers that are have made because they 've turned the church into a bank and well he 's hurting our business uh, the tourism is hurting because of paul and his so they start getting mad at him because not because of what he 's teaching but because he 's hurting their bottom line and so that 's um, that's, um uh, so that's one of those things that really influences what we read about the Church of Ephesus. Um, also, it's a commercial center. Uh, we already talked about that, but it's, um, and it's uh, a cult center. Now, when I say a cult center, I'm not saying like uh, David uh, Koresh. A cult uh, is, is, is the practice of magic art, sorcery, um, Maybe even dealing with evil spirits, uh, kind of sounds fi- funny today, but you know mysticism was actually really popular in the 1900s um, and it wasn 't new um, but um, it was very real in those days that they were dealing with these kind of um, these practices uh, and um, uh divination was another thing that you would learn at these centers, is uh to tell the future you know we you know um and the bible is full of of practices of divination like casting of lots ermine and thurman um these were all divination matters and it seems what's different is which god you pray to as you divine um the future um one of my personal favorite ways in in Greece that is—I don't know if they practice it in Ephesus—but one of my favorite ways in Greece was they is is they cut a goat or, a, or or a cow's intestines out and spilled it on the ground, and the diviner was able to tell the future based on how the entrails landed. Um. I don't know how it worked. I'm not trained in. Oregon divination, but um, I read a book on tea leaves once. <laughs> I have a set of uh, Norse rune, runes to, that, are, that are done for uh, divination, but um, um, I've never done uh, Oregon ones, but... Uh, <laughs> But it would have been practice there, and uh, it would have been a sinner. You come and pay, and you get your fortune told, your blessing. A lot of what Paul does hurts that financial market. And anytime time you start hurting that financial market, you're going to make people mad. That's true then. It's true today. We see that even in churches when you start hurting that market. Um, emperor worship that is another thing emperor, uh, very common for emperors especially in the Roman world to be worshipped as a um, divine messenger even as a god um, different societies have had different rules on this um, even Israel saw their kings as messengers of, the, of God um, not divine themselves um, but like Moses, when he—if if you went up against Moses, it was if you were going up against God. Um, other religions, like emperor worship, was actually very common in the Roman world, where you would have days where you could only pray to Caesar. Uh, where they saw themselves as God or the embodiment of God. Um, very much, so. Uh, In this city of Ephesus, we've actually uh, done archaeological evidence around the city, and we found amphitheater there that would seat 24,000 people, which is a huge amphitheater. Um, And very well may have been where they did plays. Maybe even Paul did some preaching there. We don't know. But uh, uh, Greek plays would have probably been popular at this time. Tragedies and whatnot. Uh, on a side note, I read an interesting book: how Greek tragedies may have been h- how the early soldiers dealt with PTSD. It was a very interesting study. It was put out by the art, uh, in the, the, the theater of war. It was interesting, but interesting read. Um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it was that was a good read. Uh, interesting idea. I don't know if I buy it, but it was interesting. Um, I haven't done enough study on that. Uh, anyways, four-minute video on Artemis. Uh, you probably have to turn the sound on.
1: Worship of idols to the worship of the one God and God's Messiah set off a powder keg. Before long, a certain Demetrius, a maker of souvenir silver replicas of the goddess Artemis had rallied thousands of the city's citizens to gather in the theater pictured here to protest Paul's activity. One can almost still hear the echoes of the chant they took up for two whole hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. Why would the citizens react to Paul by holding a kind of Artemis revival in the theater? Artemis was worshipped in many of the cities of Asia Minor, but Ephesus was home to the greatest temple of the goddess. Today, very little remains of this great temple of Artemis. After the Christianization of the empire, the perfectly cut stones of the derelict temple were quarried for new buildings, for example, the medieval fortress that now sits on the brow of the hill overlooking the neighboring city of Selchuk. In Paul's time, however, the great Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and a major destination for pilgrims and tourists from all across the Mediterranean. At 450 feet in length and 225 feet in width, the roof was supported by more than 120 towering columns. Artemis was not known in this region in her Greek dress. Rather, she was often portrayed as a mother figure her chest covered with symbols of fertility flanked by two deer. Scholars debate whether these symbols should be understood as breasts, eggs, or even the testicles of bulls. It is clear, however, that the more ancient worship of the mother goddess of the region was joined with the worship of Artemis when the region became part of the Greek Empire in the 4th century BCE. There was also a smaller temple of Artemis that stood beside the city hall and council chamber in Ephesus, Near the turn of the era, a portion of this temple was dedicated to the worship of Julius Caesar. After Julius Caesar was assassinated, the Senate of Rome declared him to be a god. The city elders of Ephesus consecrated this temple also to the worship of Julius Caesar as a sign of their loyalty to the new regime of his adopted son, the Emperor Augustus. Many inscriptions bear witness to the importance of both Artemis and the worship of the emperor for the life of the city. This inscription begins with a dedication to both Ephesian Artemis and Augustus. Artemis was so closely linked with the prestige and well-being of the city that the Ephesians laid particular claim to her as, in some sense, their own. The inscription goes on to recognize one Vibius Gaius as Philartemis cae Philos Sebastos, a friend of Artemis and friend of Augustus. What gives Vibius honor in this city is his piety toward, and perhaps his financial support of, the cults of Artemis and the emperor in the city. Artemis was the patron goddess of Ephesus and its principal claim to fame. In such a city, Paul was destined to run into trouble. His proclamation of one and only one God threatened the city's very identity and its claim to fame, not to mention the livelihood of the craftsmen like Demetrius, whose trade depended upon the reputation and worship of Artemis of the Ephesians. The riot that resulted in the theater shows us the importance of the traditional gods like Artemis to the identity and livelihood of the cities in which Paul proclaimed his revolutionary gospel.
0: All right. Artemis, learn anything? I'd love to go walk those ruins. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. All right, let's look in this uh, introduction material. Um, Follows the the the, the primary way that Paul introduces material: who he's writing and who he's writing to. And then a word of welcome, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Then for the next bit of this chapter, there's not a lot to this book, it's relatively short, only six chapters according to our, our numbering system. Now remember, originally this was meant to be read out loud. Sent by messenger who was trained in how to read it. Um, and so it would all have been one letter. And we have to keep that in mind as we read this. It's one letter. You can't take things out of context. One letter. But it's it's written and it's 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 a wonderful book. Uh the the blessings in Jesus Christ. Uh, this first chapter here um, is amazing. Um, this first section, what is God has done uh, in 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 creating? Um, uh, we are one in Christ, um, and preacher to the Gentiles. Um, what god has done I, let's just read a i don't want to read the whole book even though we could um let's just read a little bit uh praise be to god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in christ for he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight um this right here is actually quite powerful because he's, he's no longer just speaking to the, the, the Jews who were the chosen ones. Now he's saying from the beginning of creation, God has preordained that the Gentiles, he's not talking about each, and each individual, a lot of times our individualistic eyes, we want to make it about us, right? Like we're a bunch of narcissists. Um, he's talking about Gentiles people that were not Jewish, are, are blessed. For he has chosen us in, in us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. So predestined Gentiles. He's talking about Gentiles, not, not, not individuals. Predestined Gentiles to be part of this adoption through Jesus Christ to the Jewish graft, I guess you could say, the Jewish branch that that chosenness, according with his pleasure and will, to praise of his glorious grace, which has freely given us in one he loves. I love this next verse in him who we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins in accordance with the riches of god 's grace. I just love that passage, right that verse right there we have in him redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ that's just that's a that's a passage of hope of of joy of love that even though we're gentiles we have in him the riches of God's grace oh mm. He lavished on us with all wisdom, and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to good pleasure, which he has purchased in Christ to be put effective when the time we will have riches to their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ in him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are, were first to hope in Christ might be, be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked with him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, a destined guaranteed in our uh, inheritance we hear that we, even the Gentiles, because this is something, remember, this is something that they would have been arguing about, like in Acts chapter 15. Do you have to become Jewish first? And Paul is stating this wonderful passage that we, even Gentiles, have the Holy Spirit, the seal of God's grace and mercy and salvation upon us, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is beautiful. What a word of hope that is for us. Um, uh, he continues on this vein. Uh, we are made in Christ, one in Christ. Um, therefore, remember, for uh, this is uh, 2.11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles were birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised. I like that's kind of like in quotations, right? Some of your Bibles might even have it in quotations. The circumcised. Um, when, I, when I read that, I always think of um, Dr. Seuss's The Sneetches, you know, The Stars Upon Thars. <laughs> if you've never seen The Sneetches or read the book The Sneetches, Dr. Seuss, you've missed out on life because you haven't read Dr. Seuss. Um, It's a story of the Sneeches that have beaches, and some of them have stars on their belly, and some of them do not. And the ones with stars on their bellies look down on the ones who don't. And then this guy comes on who can put stars on their bellies, and then they start having stars with stars, and and then two stars, and three stars, and no stars, and everyone's confused. Um, (laughs) But uh, the uncircumcised, but I I always think about the circumcised. They're the ones with the stars upon theirs. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, they were looking down upon this. I'm sorry. That would have been done in the body, hands of men. Remember that you, in that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel for foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without the hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you... Who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. So even though you don't have stars upon Mars, you've been you've been uh, brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I just I think it, Ephesians. You know I'm not a New Testament per- person. You guys know that I'm an Old Testament guy. Um, Ephesians is one of my personal favorites. Um, because um, recreating the family, the body, it, it, into the, the body of believers into the church. You know, we are one family. Those that were circumcised, those are not, we are one family um, through the body of Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and, and one of the things that Paul does in this passage, in this, in this book... Um, is he wants to unify them um, to prepare them? They're, they need to be prepared because of the pagan influences that they're going to experience. I mean, we saw that in Ephesus, the Artemis being the prime. This is the primary place of Artemis and the Roman, the, the god God Caesar, Julius Caesar. Um, the emperor worship and they need to be prepared and they're not going to survive if they're not ready as a family as a unit i think that's one thing we forget all too often we we have more wars inside the churches than we do outside the churches anymore right um we forget that we're part of the family yeah we may have disagreements but we have one unifying item that we're grafted into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ. Even though we disagree on interpretation of that passage or how we should read that passage or how we should worship together and you know and, and what that looks like in different areas and different churches, we're unified in Jesus Christ. And that's what Ephesus is about, that we will not survive if we divide tear apart the family because we are one in Jesus Christ. Um. And that being said, uh, one of the things he'll say is you need to live as children of the light, um, where is this chapter four? Um, I know I'm skipping a bunch, but I don't. Want to, I could preach through this for several weeks. <laughs> um, you know, you must put aside yourself. Therefore, each you must uh, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. That means don't hold on to that bitterness. That does not mean sometimes you just you know you don't like you need to hash it out. Stay up all night till you hash it out. That's not what that means. I have seen people take it that way. What happens if you don't get rest when when you're angry, and you're you're angry and you're tired? You just get more angry and stubborn. It's like hangry, right? But there's a, what's the word for uh, tangry? Uh, (laughs) Slangry. That's that's what it was. It's called slangry, when you're sleep angry. (laughs) Slangry. Hangry is when you're angry because you just need some food. Slangry is when you're angry because you need to go to bed. (laughs) That's not what it means. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I heard that the other day. I thought it was funny. that's not what I mean It's just saying don't let that you know don't don't hold on to that bitterness so it's overnight that it's just you know building and festering within you you know it's it's that that wilderness that will just give the devil its foothold and that's why and then he goes on to say um uh don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth." Uh, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, I don't know how many times I heard this when I was growing up. Don't let any unwholesome talk. Well, that meant cussing. This actually has nothing to do with cussing. That may be unhelpful, but this doesn't mean don't cuss. Read what it says. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk in your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others. It's talking about in your anger, don't put each other down. Don't be negative towards each other. Don't be judgmental. Don't be slamming on each other. It's saying, lift each other up. If you don't have anything good to say about someone, don't say it, right? Don't let me in a hole. So that's what it's talking about. Uh, and we start making about cussing, we're actually taking away the powerfulness of this passage. Because it's, it's, it's more than just saying bad words, whatever our society has deemed a bad word. It's about being a, so don't let anything that's not helpful come out of your mouth. But only talk what's helpful. And it's something I have to remind myself about, you know, with my wife sometimes. I if it's not helpful, don't, don't say it. Um, because we're all like that, Right? We're all like that. We all have that tendency to want to say things that you know, what comes to your mind. Just because it comes to your mind doesn't mean it needs to come out your mouth. <laughs> um, but we need to build each other up according to their, uh, to their needs. That, may, uh, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. How many times have I said that in the pulpit, right? We give grace because we were given grace. That's where I got this from. It's from Ephesians. Uh, you know, we need to put away that rage, that anger, that slander, uh, that malice. Uh, and Be kind and compassionate while they forgiving just as Christ gave, forgave us. Um, and that continues on. As he, as we, as he, uh, we have a, this nice chapter break. File. Don't get me wrong. I love chapter breaks because it helps me find where I'm at. But I hate chapter breaks as well. Because it splits the idea. This does not split the idea. That chapter break does. It's like in, a, in our minds, we automatically like split that up in our heads. Because it's a chapter break. It's supposed to be a split. But he's talking about, just as Christ forgave you, be imitators of Christ. He's continue, he hasn't said therefore or in order. He hasn't split it up in his speech in the Greek. It's just... Continuing on with the same order, be imitators of Christ. Christ forgave, you need to forgive, be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And then he goes on to talk about sexual immorality. Um, sexual immorality... Um, is one of those things that um, differs from place to place and generation to generation. Of what is considered sexual immorality? Uh, there's not like a list. This is what sexual immorality is. Now we can glean some things that would be in that list. That you know, but different societies saw different things as sexually impure, impo- and so we have to take that in consideration as we read this. But he says, of all sexual immorality, whatever that looks like, all sexual immorality, of any impurity, greed. um, You know, Christ even said, though, sexual impurity, he even says, get rid of lust, right? He even goes, don't even just get rid of the act of sex, of improper sex, get rid of the lust that causes imperfect sex. So it's like going way back even further. Um,. Nor should you be obscene, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, think, uh, be thanksgiving. No immoral, poor, greedy person, such as the said, can inherit the kingdom of Christ. This is about um, you know if if you're continuing on in the darkness, you can't live in the light. If you're continuing on in the darkness. Um. Uh, All right. I guess we'll continue on with this. Um, one of my other favorite passages in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord will is. And then he talks about don't get any drunk, don't get fun. Make the most of every opportunity. The, the, you know, I think we need to remember that sometimes. That, you know, foolish behavior, getting caught up, it may seem like fun, but it's a waste. I think, I, I've, I've talked to several people later on in life that they... They talk about how much they wasted their, their time doing these things. And they found out that it was a waste after they pursued it for so many years. I'm uh, seeing some of you guys, with your heads in the bobbin because you were that person. <laughs> you know how much of a waste it was. Um, but uh, the Bible warns us, just don't, don't pursue it. It's, it's a wasteful life. Um, don't be foolish with that time. Uh, continuing on in 5, we have one of the um, passages that kind of ticks people off sometimes. Um, uh, it, it goes on and talks about being one in the Father, uh, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, and it says, Smit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, so smit to one Smit to one another. And then he goes, wives, submit to your husbands. I don't know how many times I get flack over that passage right there, like I wrote it. Um, (laughs) uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Um, There's this idea in the family that, that we are to emulate the relationship of God. It's we are supposed to be living testimony of our relationship with Christ. As Christ is over the church, the, the bride, and we submit to Christ's will, the family is supposed to be a living representation of that. And so, the, as the husband is supposed to represent Christ, and wives to submit and show that in the, the, the very way that they live their lives. And so, wives submit to you. And I, I don't know how many times I've heard pastors say, wives submit your husband, and then they don't read on, right? Um, now, as uh, the church, now it is as the church submits to Christ. So, also, wives submit to the husband. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, even to the point of giving yourself up for her that calls the husband to even more responsibility than the wife was responsible for. And a place of uh, harder, uh, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of men out there that get called out on God in, in the end because they were not, you know, they might have been subjugationist, but they weren't giving themselves up for her as Christ gave and they were, they, you know, and they were like, why should a woman submit to a husband if a wife, if the husband isn't going to love her the way Christ loved the church? If it's broken from the top, and it's supposed, we're supposed to be a reflection of Christ. This whole thing is supposed to be a reflection of Christ and his relationship with church. And so when we break it, and that's why over and over again in the scriptures, you go read Isaiah and Jeremiah and... Uh, when the men start stop acting in like the hierarchy of the men, With, when you start when the, the men stop acting like the men of God, the family falls apart. When the family falls apart. The nation falls apart. And when the nation falls apart, guess what? You have something. You have oppression, chaos, return to that chaos. I'm not one to get into politics, but. Look at the United States. The family has fallen apart. Men are not leading the homes. Men have d- abandoned the home. Yeah. Women are starting to abandon the home too. The family has fallen apart. When the family falls apart, we're already seeing the nation falling apart. I mean, how much money are we spending because the fam- because the father's not in the home? Health uh, care. Uh, Health care. Uh, uh, goes up. Uh, uh, education goes down. Um, the um, priv- uh, prison rates go up. It's this is something that we've do- we've documented over centuries of, from country to country. This is what happens when the father leaves uh, is is no longer leading the house because when the father's no longer there. Even in matriarchal societies, when the, when the woman is the head, if the father's not there, you see a rise in these problems. Um, and so the nation's falling apart because the family has already fallen apart. That's why this passage is, is not a, a lot of, because it was used inappropriately for a lot of years. Yes, I admit that. Where men were using this as a subjugation. All women are subject to me. Because they were making them a little narcissists trying to make themselves into the kings of their of whatever castle they wanted to be a part of. But that's not what this is. It's actually, a beautiful where we're supposed to work as representation to the world around us as Christ and the church, and show the world Christ and His church as the husband's supposed to give himself up for her. Loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by washing with the water through the word and presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husband... I also like this, the wife section, what is that, like two verses, three verses? Uh, The men's section is... um, Uh, yeah, like five to eight eight verses. Um, And present herself with radiant church without blamelessness. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. All who love after all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We, For we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Whoever, each one of you also must love his wife, loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful, you know, you, you know, if you're going to love yourself at all, you have to love your wife. That's why I have no respect for men who beat their, their wives. No respect at all. Because they don't love and love themselves. You can't take care of... No respect at all. Uh, they don't love themselves. They don't, they don't love their wives. They don't, you know, they're not... Mm. Um, but then it goes on it talks about children children obey your parents and lord this is your right honor your father and mother which is your first commandment which a, with a promise that it may go well with you that word honor and if we go back to that passage that that ten Commandments passage it's more than just obey it's obey when you're little um because in obeying our parents, we, we learn to obey God. But it's more than that. It's about honoring your father, your father and mother, which means even if you disobey them as an adult, it's to bring glory to their name. So you're doing what's right. So this passage even says, like, even after your parents are dead, you can bring honor to them by living a righteous life. By saying that, oh, you know. So when they say, oh, you know, Stotler, I know that name. I knew a great Stotler once. Bring honor to the parents because he carried on that name. And that's what that passage is about, and that's what the, what the what it's about. And so, so, um, so it's about living right. Um, and then if it says, Father, don't exaggerate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction. Um, you know, fathers, don't be bad parents. <laughs> Train them. There's a big difference between um, being in the home and, or being an absentee father or being in the home. Even a, even a good their father doesn't necessarily mean you trained or trained them. And this says you need to go further. You need to train and instruct them in the Lord. Um, And then we have this passage that really upsets people. Even more than that other one. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. The Bible itself does not endorse slavery, but it recognizes the existence of slavery. Um, obey them so that you would win them over in favor of the favor eyes, but like slaves of Christ in doing the will of God. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward every one of you for whatever is good he does, whether he is slave or free. But then he also says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not treat them... Um, since you know that they're both uh, master yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. You know, slavery is not something the Bible actually endorses, but it recognizes it and says, treat them with respect. Um, I've heard different arguments about pros and cons of slavery. There is a type of slavery that's not necessarily horrible, Some slavery, all societies have had bad slavery. Even the Israelites had bad slavery. But in a society without banks to get loans and stuff like that, it was a way to, like indentured servitude, was a way to work off that loan. Done correctly, it's not necessarily a bad system. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's not necessarily a bad system. Because every 50 years, you were supposed to set everyone free anyways. Uh, And, you know, they were supposed to be able to work it off. Now, that gets corrupted, and therefore it's a bad system because of the corruption. Now, chattel slavery is always bad, and the Bible does have chattel slavery in it. Uh, If you were not a a Jewish person in the Old Testament, because they had, like, a a, a Jewish type of slavery and then, like, a a captured person type of slavery. If you were a captured person, it was more like chattel slavery uh, of the United States. It's... uh, anyways now slavery is, is, is not endorsed by scripture but it is recognized as it is and if you go back to the very beginning slavery comes out about because of sin so um and bible actually says don't take slaves because you were once slaves yourselves but um But it does recognize that it is something that is part of society, especially in the Roman society where even the slaves had, some of the richer slaves had slaves. Which sounds really weird to us. (laughs) Um, But that's the way the Roman society worked, you know. A richer slave could have a slave. Um, So... um, we see too much of our discussion of slavery through the transatlantic slave trade. I'm not saying that any slavery is good, but we see too much of when we read these words through the lens of that transatlantic slave trade. And that colors how we read it. And we have to put that in perspective. Um, actually, if I would have thought about it, I would have brought my big old book on slavery across the cultures. I don't know. A whole book just on slavery that talks about slavery in every different culture uh, throughout history. Um, Anyways, we're running out of time. Um, Then it goes on uh, to probably the most well-known section of Ephesians. And uh, I know you ladies just did a Bible study on this one. Ephesians chapter six verses thirteen through seventeen right or well ten through uh, seventeen, I guess it would be or eighteen the armor of God uh, take up the full armor of God and you may be able to restrain uh, in the in the days of evil, be strong in the Lord um, let's see therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In accordance with this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, there we go. There's a good picture. Um, put on your armor gone. And um, as I do believe they mentioned this in the Bible study. This is actually taken from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 59. Did they mention that in the book? Yes, they do? Okay, good. I was not, I did not take place in the women's Bible study. So I don't know. But I'm sure they did. Um, Isaiah fifty nine six, 16 through nineteen is where this is first starts to come up, but um, but when we when when Paul is reading this, he's probably talking about the Roman garb, um, and and uh, you know the, the the belt of truth. The belt is the part that ties all the, everything together. If it's loose. When you're off duty, you loosen your belt. Um, and that's why, you know, you need to stand firm and buckle that, that up so that it's ready to go, so you're ready for duty. Breastplate of righteousness, um, feet fitted with the, the readiness that comes from the gospel piece. It's like, the, you know, the, the, the spirit of God, the, the gospel is going to take you going to let you stand firm. What do we stand on? The rock that is Jesus Christ, the gospel of the good news. Um, a lot's been said about this, so I don't want to say too much about this, but uh, it's, it, it is a wonderful passage. Um, the one thing that I always uh, want to point out as I talk about this, though, is that um, the shield of faith the roman shields were not meant to be used individually going back to the idea of family and unity as one the roman shields were meant to be linked together as you stood in columns or in turtle formations so that you blocked each other you were only as strong as the person to your right because the person you would block you, you would block yourself and the person to your left so you were responsible for blocking. That's how it worked. And so your and we. that's how, when we talk about the fellowship, we are not meant to do this alone. That's when we read the book of Ephesians, we talk about put on your shield of faith. We also have to remember that he's been talking this whole passage, this whole time, about being a family, being in unity, so that when you stand with that shield ready to go, you're standing together to distinguish the arrows. Because if arrows are coming, what they do? They put their, the front line put their arrows here. The people behind them would put their shields over. They didn't just raise it over themselves, they put it over top of the person in front of them to raise up to block everyone. So it's coming from this side and this side. So everyone's protected as they were together. So that you have the whole, This what they would get in. They would even have like a turtle formation where they'd circle up and. So that if you were surrounded from all sides, you would, you would have it completely surrounded with shields. And then you take your, sh- your spear and stab outward or your sword. Swords at this time were not really made for the slashing motion. They were made for stabbing. Because you had your shield and then you you come back in. And so that's how they were designed. Yes, you could stab with a, sh- a sword at this time, a slash, but they weren't really made for that. These are not rapiers or... Or katana's—they're stabby-stabby weapons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could spend a lot of time on this. Trust me, I could. Um, but um, but it is—it's a—it's a beautiful passage, and we have to remember we're not in this alone. And that's one thing as church members, we got to say, you're not alone. A lot of times we feel like we're all alone. And we, we are really bad about making each other feel like we're, they're, you know, like I ain't going to help you with your problems. Um, we're really, you know, we're really bad about that. I'm not going to help you with my problems, with your problems. I've got enough problems of my own, I don't help you with mine, uh, with yours. Um, or, you know, ooh, you got that sin, I don't want to be around you. Uh, and that's that's not the attitude that the, that the this is preaching. This is saying we are stronger with the shield of faith raised together. Yeah. We come together, to extinguish those. When, we only way we can extinguish those arrows of sin is when we come together in openness. And we're afraid, you know we become a society where we're afraid to actually even tell our our people our, our sins or our struggles because we're afraid they're going to end up on TikTok or. T- or Facebook all over the plastered all over the place, oh, well, that person struggles with pornography. They're an evil person. But we're supposed to be able to say, "Hey, I struggle with this so that someone can come up and say, "Well, let me stand beside you." That's how it's supposed to be. And that's what this book is about. You're going to face those temptations, those pagan influences as you're living in Ephesus. Be a family. Put on the armor. Stand firm together. And go with the gospel of peace. Oh, that's beautiful. That's why I said Ephesus is one of my personal favorites in the New Testament. Um, And we're out of time. Do we have any questions, statements, comments, concerns? John. Uh, grace be all love of Jesus Christ with an undying love incorruptibility I'd have to look up the, the, the Greek there uh, mine, I'm reading from the new test the, the NIV and it says uh, with undying love uh, sincerity let me um, hold on just a second um uh, Just a second. I'm bringing up my Greek. (laughs) Yep, made me dig. Um, (laughs) You you ask these questions, you don't get out on time. (laughs) Greek. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, well, it does mean in the Greek, it means, um, it is used in this, in this sense um, with a sincerity or integrity, but it also could be an undyingness. So grace being love to the Lord Jesus Christ with an undyingness. Uh, they changed it with undying love, though the word there, love is not there. Um, so it would be in um, grace. Be grace be to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a with with undyingness with my with undying um, incorruptible maybe uh, um, immortality of love um, this inability to, um, um, I'm interested, um, yeah, I'll actually probably continue studying that one a little bit later, but, um, literal um the literal i'm looking at the gre- the greek this is all who who love our lord jesus christ in incorruption is the literal what it the word for word saying there's all who uh grace be be with all who who love the our lord jesus christ in uncorruption uncorruption uh incorruption so like um those who are pure uh, and the grace to just be pure in, in the grace of Jesus. Um, that's what it... So, take that for what you want. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else? It is 7 o'clock and I'd I like to get you guys out on time. No? All right. Um, let's pray then, Father God. We praise you today, Lord. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings that you have given us, Lord. We pray that you just um, lift us up to your um, your holy of holies, Lord. We pray that um, we may have the peace and the grace, and we may be in unity as as, as you've discussed here in, in the. the this church of to the Ephesus that we may have that unity, that we may stand strong as 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 a family. And that we may represent you. And that we may train each other up. That we may not falter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.